0: And you're like, where in the world did that come from?
1: I just figured out what I'm humming, the 18 thing song. I'm like, I can't tell you the last time I watched this or heard that song. Dun, 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 dun. A little different. I have been watching that. But like I said, but that's in my head. It does kind of sound same. Yeah. Can you hear that? Yeah.
0: Um, this is for the ladies' Bible study. When do you want them to have it voted on? my second. Voting for the day and the um, study. Okay. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Good. Well, like two of you said, good. Thank you. All right. So, hopefully, all the rest of you are doing well. Um, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer today. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for, uh, we thank you for giving us your Son, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of being able to call on Him for salvation. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for uh, that, that you do not just stop your interaction with mankind with salvation, but that you continue to want to be with us and to encourage us and to uplift us and to challenge us. And Lord, I just thank you for that. Uh, I thank you that you are a good God, a great God that can do anything and everything. Uh, I thank you for this opportunity that we get together to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would bless the service today, that it would be honoring to you, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, and more than, than we even understand, Lord, help us to understand that. Um, thank you, God, for all that you do for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, before we start singing, I'm going to give a couple announcements here real quick. Um, out on the table, there is a couple sheets of paper, I think, um, from, that is about the ladies' Bible study. And uh, so what we'd like you to do is you take it home and then come come back at least by next Sunday. Or can they text you? Uh, or you, they can text Tara uh, about uh, what what you're going to do is basically vote for which book you want to do and then um, she's looking at probably doing uh, preferably Sunday night but you can also vote on which day uh, you would work to, that would work best for you uh, for that uh, so by next Sunday she needs to hear from y'all on that uh, so there one page has like the description of which books and what's going on um, and I'm not sure what the other page is but Okay.
1: And even if you sent me
0: Right. yeah, so if you've already done it reach out again to her, uh, let her know uh, which one. And then also we have a praise this morning. Uh, I was talking with Mary Beth earlier. And Mary Beth said that, praise the Lord, she's only got, hopefully, only three more weeks of dialysis and then they're going to take her off of it. Praise the Lord for that. And as she says, your prayer works, you know. Hey, it's like we've been in a series on prayer about prayer working or something, you know. Uh, But yes, prayer works, amen. And uh, praise the Lord that, uh, you know, she says, don't stop praying, you know, and that's the same for all of us. Don't stop praying for each other. Um, also, the other business meeting, let's see, we got business meeting this Wednesday at 7, uh, Fall Festival, you know, I told you last week that I made a mistake in the bulletin. Well, I made another mistake about this again in the bulletin. It is on the 29th, which is a Sunday, uh, but instead of starting at 5, it starts at 4, or you can come after the Steeler game, whichever ends first. Um, but uh, you're, you're welcome to come. Half-time. At halftime? halftime, that's over but... <laughs> Uh, we're, we're not going to get into that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so 4 o'clock or, or there, thereabouts is whenever the fall festival will begin. And um, you can see the rest of the um, announcements that are there. All right, why don't you all stand with me as we go to, uh, begin to sing this morning. First song we're going to sing is in the bulletin or up on the screen. We're going to sing We Bow Down.
2: creation.
0: page 318, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
2: Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing Tune my heart to sing Thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. This my glad commemoration that till now I've safely come.
0: Before we sing that next song, why don't you greet one another this morning. Let's make our way back to our seats as we sing out that last verse.
2: Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee.
0: Good singing you may be seated all right the next song um, we're going to take up the offering but uh, we'll be singing uh, page 468 be thou my vision and uh, let's just continue worshiping him with our voices God to bless the offering, sir. Heavenly Father,
2: we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings you give us. Lord, please uh, bless these gifts and givers. Uh, we may use this to honor and glorify you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. All right, why don't you turn with me to the Book of Luke, Luke chapter 18? We are in our series. Beyond Prayer, A Biblical Perspective on the Power of Prayer. And uh, <clears throat> I think this is our third week in it. And uh, as I've said mentioned before, this is based off a book that I got while I was uh, on a pastor's conference out in uh, California. Called It Happens After Prayer by H.B. Charles. And last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, what many people call the Lord's Prayer. And we saw how Jesus then talked about the unexpected host. Who became the shameless midnight caller uh, to his sleepy friend and who didn't help out, uh, well, who didn't help out until that shameless midnight caller kept banging on his door until he uh, helped him out. So he reluctantly helped his friend so he could get back to sleep. And we learned that God is not like that at all. Today we're going to look at another parable. Um, now, you know, as we've talked about before, it's the meaning of some parables. Are uh, are not always easily understood. God just kind of gives us the parable, and it's like, okay, figure it out. Um, but uh, you know, many of them are kind of open ended and uh, not sure of their application. But that's not the case with this parable that we're going to talk about today. And um, what we're going to look at is the parable of the crooked judge. And uh, so Luke introduces this parable by uh, this parable of Jesus by Really stating the intended purpose before the parable even starts. So hopefully you're all there. Luke chapter 18, we're going to start in verse number 1 right now. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that man always ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus tells this parable because he knows the disciples and even us today are going to be tempted to lose heart along the way. And the Lord gives us something to do when our faith seems to be losing heart. Uh, and this term lose heart, uh, means to give up or to give in, uh, or, or to give out because of weariness or frustration or discouragement. How many of y'all ever been frustrated, discouraged? You know, anybody have your faith kind of seem, or your heart kind of give out a little bit? Um, you know, we lose heart sometimes. It's a, a spiritual burnout that causes one's faith to become weak. And this verse is the only time Luke uses this phrase, uh, lose heart. But uh, Paul uses it several times. Uh, and of those, he used 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. He says it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't lose heart while doing good. Uh, um, let's see. And it's reiterated again in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. So according to these verses, the temptation to give up is a real temptation. And it's powerful. And unfortunately, it is inevitable. Every person is going to face some points in their lives where they want to quit. And it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, how much scripture you know, or how deep your level of devotion is to the Lord. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. He's saying, be on your guard. You are not immune to losing heart. All of us are going to face that time, at uh, um, uh, one time or another. And so, and, and what do we want to do? We want to quit. So, we're going to face all kinds of different quitting points in our life. And uh, we're going to uh, face personal quitting points. You know, they appear when you feel like you've given all that you could possibly give. Uh, and and uh, that you have taken all that you can take. And you're like, that's it. That's all I can stand. And I can't stand no more. That's Popeye, right? Remember? Yeah. <laughs> Um, That's all I can stand. I can't stand it any longer. No more. You're at your wit's end. You're crushed by that straw that broke the camel's back. So we have these personal quitting points. Also, there are relational um, quitting points as well. You know, they occur when dealing with someone, someone that you care about, someone that that, uh, brings you to that can't live with them, can't live without them uh, point of exasperation. You're like, I don't know what to do now. You know, your relationship is more strained. It's really kind of broken. And you feel like you just can't go any further with that person because of all, that, that, uh, all the problems that, that come with being with them. And so that relational uh, quitting point. Also, there's a moral quitting point as well. Uh, they're just ahead uh, when you consider negotiating your values. Because doing wrongs just seems to pay so well. Do I really need to claim that on my taxes? I would get a whole lot better of a return if I didn't put that in there. Right? I mean, oh, you know, so we we, we get these moral quitting points, you know. Because doing right seems to cost so much. Without a doubt, life constantly offers you spiritual shortcuts. And they can seem very, very inviting, especially when the pressure is on. But I can tell you right now, it's, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And then there's the spiritual quitting points. These will tempt you when your faith begins to wane. And you feel like giving up on God. You're like, I can't do this anymore. This is just too hard. During a spiritual depression, we need to sing uh, um, or you know, with the psalmist from Psalm 42. Where he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And he says, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. That's where we're going to get the help that we need. From God. We, we're all going to face uh, different aspects of our lives that is going to make us want to quit. What do you do when you're tempted to lose heart? What, what should you do when your faith begins to, to faint? Does, does God give us any words of comfort when you feel like giving up? Yes. And the answer is in verse number one of what we just read. Let's read it again. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You see, we have persistent prayer. That is something that is so very powerful. And that's the next point. Persistent prayer. You see, prayer is the cure for discouragement. You should pray when you begin to lose heart. This is not a recommendation. It is not a suggestion that you can accept or reject uh, at your discretion. It's not optional. The call to prayer is a moral, moral imperative. You ought to pray. They always, they ought always to pray, Luke says. It's, it, it's wrong to give up at life's quitting points. You must pray your way through those things. And of course, it's not the easy thing to do. This persistence requires more than a sporadic, lazy, or even a reactionary prayer. You say, "What does that mean?" Reactionary? That means you only pray about something that just happened to you right then and there. You know, uh, as we've said in previous weeks, you always ought to pray, and, and you're to continually—I'm uh, sorry—continue steadfastly in prayer. You always ought to pray until something happens. Diligence in our prayer life will lead to deliverance it'll lead uh, it, it will defeat discouragement continual prayer will keep you from losing your heart persistent prayer revives that fainting heart that's why 1st Thessalonians 5:17 tells us to pray without ceasing well what does that mean does it mean that you should do nothing but pray no it means that you are to do nothing, don't take a step, don't make a decision, don't take action without prayer first. You, all, you ought to always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus illustrates the, the priority and the power of prayer with this parable. Let's continue on, verse number two. There was a certain city, I'm sorry, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. This intriguing little parable has two main characters. First off, we've got the judge the, of, of G, that Jesus describes as a man who does, doesn't fear God and he didn't regard or respect man. Ouch. That, that's, could you imagine that's what you're remembered by? By someone that doesn't respect God, is not, does not live in fear of God, does not respect man. Uh, this, this expression tells us that this man was morally unfit to be a judge. Proverbs chapter one verse seven teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Since the judge didn't fear God, how could this man properly administer the law of God? And then, you know, there's a lot of people today that uh, who think that once theology can be separated from your ethics. Many people act as if the two should never be joined, your ethics and your theology. But Jesus said that they were tell. Um, Jesus said that they were by telling us that this crooked judge's lack of reverence for God corresponded with his lack of respect for people. This man couldn't care less about God or anybody else. He was heartless. He was a wicked man whose verdict was motivated by crooked self-interests. The other main character of this parable is the widow. And Jesus goes out of his way to describe her. Uh, in desperate terms. First, she was a woman. A a, a woman in a a real sense. She really had no personal rights in this time. Her existence was tied to the men in her life. Likewise, she was a widow whose position, her provision, her protection were all snatched away from her by the death of her husband. Apparently, she didn't have a father still living or a son or a brother who would be able to speak for her on her behalf. And so this poor woman had an adversary, someone that was out to get her, someone that she couldn't handle on her own. And this most likely means that she was entangled in maybe some financial dispute uh, with some man who was trying to take advantage of her. Worst of all, this helpless, desperate widow happened to live under the jurisdiction of this rotten, crooked judge who didn't respect God or people. So when this desperate loser went to this heartless judge... He flatly refused to help her. He's like, get away from me. You, you have nothing to offer me. Go away. Now, under normal circumstances, this would have been the end of the matter, leaving the widow helpless and hopeless. But the irony of this parable is that the loser actually wins. This widow did not have the power to force the judge to, uh, to hear her case. She did not have the, any powerful connections to influence him. Uh, she did not have any money to bribe him. But she did have something that, could, that she could use to convince the judge to change his mind. She had persistence. Imagine the scene. A widow comes to the judge's office seeking justice against her adversary. The judge just says, Get away. You, you've got nothing to offer. I'm not going to help you. He demeans her. He kicks her out of his office. And he says to himself, The nerve of her. <laughs> She has nothing for me. She expects me to do something on behalf of her? Really? And so he gets back to work never expecting to see see or hear from her again. But when he leaves his office for lunch, there she is, asking for justice. When he returns, she's still there. Asking for justice. At the end of the day, she follows him home asking for justice. When he leaves for work the next day, she's there asking for justice. And finally, her punishing persistence wears him down. And he agrees to hear the case and to render his justice. Just can't you hear it? Will, will someone uh, please help this old lady because she is driving me nuts. She won't leave me alone alone. She's wearing me out under this unrelenting persistence. This is the parable Jesus tells to make the point that His disciples always ought to pray and not lose heart. Prayer is this uh, remedy, remedy for discouragement. Persistent prayer revi- revives the fainting heart. And so Jesus drives the point home uh, of this parable with a series of questions. And Let's look at verse number 6. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So I've got two questions I want us to look at today for the rest of our time. Two big questions about these main characters of this parable. To help you understand why you always ought to pray and not lose heart. The first one uh, is, is God like the crooked judge? Well, yes and no. Yes, He is like that crooked judge in a very real sense. Uh, um, uh, Like the parable of the friend at midnight, the lesson that Jesus teaches about God in this parable is made by way of contrast. Not by comparison, uh, God is the opposite of this character. That is, God is not the crooked judge. This does not mean that there are absolutely no similarities between God and this judge. They're polar, polar opposites in terms of moral character, but they do share an authoritative role. They are both in—they uh, are both judges. Um, this unjust judge ruled his jurisdiction. Like it or not, the residents in his jurisdiction had to go to him if they needed something done uh, through the courts to receive justice. Now, in terms of ruling authority, God is like that uh, crooked judge. God is in control. Yes or no? Yes. God is divinely sovereign. And it simply means that God is God alone. He rules and reigns over everything. God has absolute control, complete authority, everything. And everyone is subject to God's sovereign authority. So here is a real sense in which God is like the crooked judge. God is in charge. We must look to God for justice. God is the only one who can make it right when things go wrong. The parable here of the friend at midnight. Well, the parable of the friend at midnight that we looked at last week teaches that God can meet our needs uh, if we pray. But the parable of the unjust judge teaches us that God will fix your problems if you pray. Now, doesn't that sound awesome? All i got to do is pray about it and God's going to fix it. Wouldn't that be great that he would fix every single problem we had? It would be. Well, does he? Well, let's continue on looking here. When things go wrong, you don't have to give up, give in, or give out. You don't have to take matters into your own hands because God is in control. So ultimately, even though they share an authoritative role, God is not like that judge. God is not like that crooked judge. The unjust judge decides to help the widow because she just wouldn't leave him alone. Verse five said, "Lest by her continual coming she weary me." If you look into the original Greek, he was saying she was beating him. uh, You know, like someone giving, getting a black eye from a beating. That's what she, she just kept after him, after him, after him. And that's how this widow got his way with the with the judge. She beat him down with her nagging and unrelenting persistence, and he finally decided to help her just to get her off his back tying in anything in in, in marriage relationships here with this, okay? Because it's not, okay? But here lies the tension of the text. The contrast between the crooked judge and our Heavenly Father. God is not a crooked judge. You have to critically If you think that, you have critically misunderstood both God and prayer. If you think prayer is about begging God long enough and nagging Him hard enough that you wear Him down for Him to give you what you want, That's, that's not what it's about. You should always pray and not lose heart because God isn't a crooked judge. Our God is a good God, our God is a just God. This judge who neither feared God nor respected man was a stubborn, hard-hearted man who was only motivated by crooked self-interest. But our God is not like that. Our God is a good God. He is good all the time. His character is good. And God, all, God's ways never contradict His character. That's important for us to understand. What He does does not contradict who He is. God only and always does what is good. Now, most of us look at the term good, and let's be honest, that term is kind of subjective, because what... Well, let's, let's take it... Let's look at food, because, you know, we're Baptists and we like food, right? You know, and what tastes good to me may not taste good to you. I make a chili that I absolutely love. It's tomato-based, it's wonderful, it's awesome, it's great, it's lovely. And then uh, my wife found a recipe from Lori about another chili, which is good, but it's not tomato-based. You know, mine's red, like chili's supposed to be. <laughs> just saying. And hers has vegetables in it, like corn. And it's just weird. I mean, it's good, but it's just not the chili I grew up with. It's good, but she doesn't like my chili. That's okay. That means I get to eat it all when I get it, right? What I think tastes good, she doesn't necessarily think tastes good. What she likes to eat, some of that stuff, I'm like, never mind. I don't want that. That just looks disgusting. Forget it. You know, that's subjective. But when we look at God and goodness, it's not subjective. Because it is good, period. Because He is good. All right? God is always good. His character is good. This is uh, is true no matter how bad things get in your life. Indeed, life is hard, but God is still good. The goodness of God always outweighs the badness of life. uh, So you can pray with confidence knowing that God's character is good. Not only is His character good, but God's ways are just. God judges by a righteous standard. And in this sense, God is no respecter of persons. God's judgments are not shaped by by our comparisons, by our excuses or rationalizations in any way. God doesn't grave on a curve. God's righteous standard is His own good and holy character. That's why He can tell us that there are none righteous, no, not one. None of us are good enough to His level of goodness. If you want proof of the justness of God, all you've got to do is go to the cross. His divine justice in which God demonstrated His unconditional love without violating His holy wrath. On the, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if Jesus committed all the sins of the world so He could treat those who believe in Him, who have faith in Him for salvation, as if they performed all the righteousness of Christ. Someone had to pay the price. That was the justness of God. But also in His loving mercy and loving kindness, He allowed Christ to die in our place for us. God is still good. His ways are just. Romans 8.32 says, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for, all, for us all. How shall He, not with Him, also freely give us all things? If you can trust the justice of God to save you, You ought to trust God to sustain you, protect you, and keep you. God, who has settled your eternal eternal destiny, also oversees your daily life. So there's no need to worry. God's going to take care of you because His ways are just. Not only is He a good character, He has just ways, but His timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. It's in His timing. And that's so important for us to gather. When we want something from God, when do we want it? Actually, five minutes ago would be even better, right? Not just now. We want, we want to already have it. But that's not always in God's timing. And we have to trust Him. Jesus asked in verse number 7, And shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? This statement is really hard for a lot of scholars to figure out, to, to, to interpret the Greek suggest that God may delay His coming or, 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 or wait long with His elect. But in verse number 8, Jesus says, I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Well, which is it? Does He tarry in His uh, doings? Or does He come speedily? The answer is both. That's just great. Don't you just love that? It's both. There are times when God forces you to sit in the waiting room. But when He acts on your behalf, He moves speedily. God's timing is always perfect. And this ought to bring great comfort to us. God's never in a hurry. You ever been rushing around doing something and you head out the door, you get halfway down the road and then you realize you forgot something? The other day, uh, uh, Jim works for Thomas and Little Funeral and he was... um, And it's right down the street from our house. And he sees me go by, I wave. And then like five minutes later, I come back around. And he asks me later, he goes, did you forget something? I'm like, yeah, I forgot something. We all do it, don't we? See, when we get in a hurry, we we rush around and we, we get frantic. God is never frantic. Think about that. He's never like, oh, 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 I forgot to do that. Or, oh, know, yeah, i got to get this done. No, He's not like that. He doesn't hurry. God is from everlasting to everlasting. God lives in one eternal now. He's not bound by clocks and calendars. It doesn't matter when the Lord shows up because when He shows up, it's always the right time. He showed up for Noah years before the flood. It was the right time. He showed up for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they got tossed into the furnace. It was the right time. He did not show up for Mary and Martha until after Lazarus died. And he didn't show up for four more days, but it was still the right time. Too late is not in God's vocabulary. All right? God knows how to act. God knows where to act. And God knows when to act. So, is God like the crooked judge? Well, only in this case that they both have authority. Otherwise, God is not like him at all. And we see here why he is not like him. His character is good, his ways are just, and his timing is perfect. Second question I want to ask you is Are you like the widow, the persistent widow? I've got three answers for you, okay? Number one, yes. She had an enemy and uh, you know there is a real sense in which you're like this widow this poor widow went to a crooked judge to plead for ju- to plead for justice she had an enemy that she couldn't handle on our own guess what we have an enemy that we cannot uh, handle on our own this widow was probably in a financial dispute, most likely, who had taken advantage of her. And our conflict is not of uh, material, but our conflict is of a spiritual dispute uh, with eternal implications in which we struggle against the enemy of our souls. We've got, you know, well, the enemy of our souls, the first one that we think of is the devil, right? But also there's more. There's the flesh, and there's also the world. And the, you know, and the devil, they, they, they seek to take advantage of us. And it's a war that demands the highest level of alert. The flesh wants you to be happy in everything. As long as it makes you happy, it's good. The world wants you to fit in. You know, you don't want you to be weird. You don't want to stand out like a sore thumb. And the devil, guess what? He wants you to be religious. Now that seems kind of weird. These things don't sound bad, but the true danger lies in the fact that the flesh wants you to be happy without God. The world wants you to fit in without God. And the devil really wants you to be religious without God. See, those things tear us away from the Lord. The temptation to live without God at the center of your life is our spiritual enemy's weapon of mass destruction. The enemy who wants to believe that God is a crooked judge so that you won't pray. And if you don't pray, the enemy is assured the victory. You are like this widow that you have an adversary and you cannot handle on your own. I know when I was growing up, there, there was a lot of uh, uh, Christian music that was out that was about minimizing the devil and I, and over. I don't, I don't think the word is over-centralizing, but uh, over... Um, I can't think of the word right now, but uh, we're saying that we're stronger than we really are, that we can beat the devil on our own. And let me tell you right now, we cannot beat the devil on our own. We can't. That's, we, only God can do that. So, we, got, we are like this desperate widow. We need someone to help us. Now, So yes, you are like the desperate widow, but here's my next one. No, you're not like the desperate widow. Because if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are not like this desperate widow. Verse 7, Jesus asks, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? The elect here means chosen by God. Election means that you are saved because God chose you, not because you chose Him. It was God's uh, choosing that enabled you to choose Him. Those who are saved are God's elect. You are God's chosen one. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. You see, God chose you for Himself in Christ. Before God even said, let there be light, He chose you. How awesome is that? As one of God's chosen ones, you are free to come to God as one of His elect, not as some helpless widow that has no one else to fight for her. As God's elect, you have direct access to God. We've talked about this already. I just love it. You know, this widow uh, didn't have any real access to the judge. Even though uh, he was the judge over her jurisdiction, she had no reason to believe that he would listen to a nobody like her that couldn't offer anything. But that is not the Christian predicament. Prayer is not a scheduled appointment with a busy executive. It is quality time with the loving Father. We talked about this last week when we talked about that uh, we address Him as Father. We have access to Him. You and I have complete access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Also, as God's elect, you have an advocate before God. This widow did not have anybody to speak on her behalf to the judge. But you and I, we have a mediator. Someone that intercedes for us on our behalf before God. And that person is Jesus Christ. First John 2, 1 John 2.1 says, And if anyone is in, in sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is a defense attorney. He speaks on behalf of the accused. When the accuser speaks against you, your divine advocate speaks on your behalf, pleading His blood on your behalf. The thing is, and this is really kind of cool, God's already kind of biased towards us. Think about it. He is a little biased towards us in this matter because God the Father is the judge. We have an in with Him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our defense so break out of your widow mentality that everything is out to get you. You have no one else that you can turn to. Remember, as a child of God, you are His elect. And as God's elect, you have assurance from God. This widow did not have any agreement with this judge that would obligate him to do anything for her. For her, With this crooked judge, seeing was the only way to believe him. And you couldn't take him at his word. He was, you know, he could have changed his mind. But this is not how our God operates. We can take God at His word. We can trust the Lord to do what He says He's going to do. We can stand by His promises. Are you like the desperate widow? Yes, we have an enemy. No, because we're not on our own. And here's the last one. You ready for this one? I don't know. That's really, that's the answer. I I don't know. You say, what do you mean? Let me explain what what I mean. For Jesus turns the parable of the unjust judge on its head with this closing question in verse number 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus didn't ask this question out of ignorance. If such faith is to be found, Jesus is the only one who can find it. Neither did Jesus ask this question in despair, because the Son of Man will find faith on earth when He comes. Instead, I think this is a spiritual challenge for us that each of us have to face. And as you read through this passage, the question, the parable seems to be uh, um, uh, to be whether the Lord will show up when His elect need Him. Will God show up when we need Him to? But now this parable is telling us the real question is not whether the Lord will show up. The real question is will you show up when He shows up? And that's why I don't know. It's not my place for you. you know, I can't make that decision for you. You can't make that decision for me. It's up to you. Are you going to be there? Will you show up when He shows up? Are you like this persistent widow that's going to continue, can be persistent in your prayer before the Lord? Or will you lose heart and say, what's the point? I haven't gotten what I needed. God must love somebody else better than me because He's answering their prayers. Are you going to give up? Are you going to throw in the towel before the Lord brings justice to you speedily? You said, well, when's it going to happen? And I've got I don't know. But don't lose heart. Continue faithfully in the Lord. Matthew chapter twenty-four, verses twelve through thirteen says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. What does that mean? It means that they're they're fading. They're going to lose heart. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's not the enduring that saves. Salvation is a gift that we receive, it's a reward that, we, uh, that God uh, uh, um, gives to us. We don't earn it. But steadfast endurance is a distinguishing mark of those who are truly saved. God does his part, we need to do our own part. The fact is that we are weak. We are limited. We are sinful. And because of those things, we need God to help us do our part. And He's made provision to help us. He has given us the wonderful privilege of prayer. Will your love grow cold? Or will you, will you endure to the end? You can endure if you always pray. And don't lose heart. That's what the whole point is. You say, "Okay, so you've been talking about prayer. You've been talking about it, but but w- w- when are you going to give me the magic formula to make God answer all my prayers? I wish I had a magic formula for you. I do. That would be awesome. But that's not the way it works." You say, well, how do you know that God answers prayer? Because God does answer prayer. We just praise the Lord for uh, Mary Beth, most likely not going to have dialysis after three weeks. That's an answer to prayer. You all have been praying for her, she's been praying. Prayer works. How long have we been praying for you, Mary Beth? For months. Since March. So did God just drag His feet? No, He did it in His perfect timing. We don't know why. We don't know the reasons behind it. We don't have to know why. God does answer our prayers and we ought not lose heart but instead to continue to pray. That's what I'm telling you to do. This is why we should do it. Are we faithful to Him or are we going to lose heart? That's the challenge. That's the challenge today. God is not like a crooked judge. He's not. He's a good God that does amazing stuff for us. All right, would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the awesome God that you are. Because, Lord, you've given us the the privilege of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, work in our lives, that we won't give up. Even when it seems like you're not answering When it seems you're not doing what we want you to do, help us to understand that maybe you've already answered the prayer that you're not going to do it. But yet we can still trust you and that you are still good in spite of what's going on in our lives. That there is a reason. We may not know the reason, but there is a reason. And help us, Lord, not to lose heart, but to always pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this challenge. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Um, whatever God's working on in your heart. Did not know there was music to that. Um, whatever <laughs> um, God is working in your heart, um, why don't we uh, sing page 400, Have Thine Own Way. M- music may start back up. I don't know. We'll j- we'll- We'll just sing it. song for this, I, I, I rotate through this, the, the invitational songs, I have like 9, 10, 12, I don't know how many, and it just seems like so many times God just puts the message with the, with the song, and uh, that's what we need to pray, that God has his way, and we're going to be yielded, waiting, ready, still, for the Lord. All right, Um, let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you all for being here. Don't forget the announcements. Don't forget the papers that are out there for the ladies' Bible study. And uh, I'm going to ask Greg Rudman if you would close in prayer, sir. Heavenly Father.